Welcome back to the EuroCleo podcast, Pastime Talking and Teaching History. My name is Andreas Holperger and I will be your podcast host for this episode. In this episode, we will have two guests tackling the concept of historical canons and the current debate surrounding this issue taking place in the Netherlands and in Flanders. The aim of our podcast is to discuss topics and ideas that are relevant for history educators, to inspire each other and learn from some of the great people that are part of this community. This podcast is just one of many ways in which Euroclio reaches out to educators. We do webinars, blogs and conferences, so visit our website euroclio.eu and follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. If you like our work, I strongly encourage all our listeners to also join Euroclio as individual members. For a very small fee, you'll get plenty of benefits, including free access to all our online professional development courses. We have just finished an entire month of online annual conference, but we'll continue to offer online webinars and courses throughout the year. Coming back to the topic of this episode, we will, as mentioned, look at the concept of canons and how they relate to national curricula and the teaching of history. The background to the topic is that work has begun on compiling a canon for Flanders, while in the Netherlands, which was very much a model for the Flemish canon, a revision has been made for the Dutch history canon, which was set up already back in 2006. So to dig a bit deeper into the controversies surrounding these canons and their implications for history education and for history teachers, I have invited two eminent guests to give their take on the recent developments. So let's get to it. All right, so we have two um, excellent guests here at the podcast today. Um, I'd let's just take a moment to introduce you both. Um, Karl van Neuenhauser, you are a professor of history didactics at the Faculty of Arts of the University, Catholic University of Leuven in Belgium. Uh, your research interests uh, are related to history education, uh, are the position of the present, the use of sources, students' historical narratives, and the connection with their identification, historical representations of the colonial past, and the teaching of intercultural contacts. Um, Jorke van der Löw Roord, uh, you are a known figure to many of uh, our listeners, I'm sure, uh, as you uh, were both the founder and the president of Euroclio for, for many years. Uh, you founded Euroclio in 1992. Um, until then, I believe you also worked as a history teacher, uh, a trainer and an advisor. You've been president of the Dutch History Teacher Association. Uh, you've been an editor of the magazine on, on learning and teaching of history in the Netherlands. Uh, you've also been involved in a number of uh, intergovernmental organizations working on history education. And you've been involved in a number of transnational projects uh, all across Europe, really. Uh, in your function uh, as president of, of Euroclio and uh, director of Euroclio. Um, so I think we'll, uh, if, if you're both happy with your, your brief introductions, then I think we'll, we'll start right away with a question. First of all, um, what do you see as the purpose of the canon and how does it relate to national curriculum? I'm particularly interested in, in what are the implications, as you see it, for how to say your average history teacher in, in both Flanders and in the Netherlands. And I will start with you, Jorke, to uh, also give a bit of a background information on, on where we are in the Netherlands at the moment. So 
um, the canon in the Netherlands has in fact three different purposes. In the first, it's really, they say it's meant as a proposal for a choice for curriculum. So that's the first thing. And it's meant for primary education and the first circle of secondary education. But the commission who designed the canon is also quite, quite explicit that it wants to go beyond history education and that it wants to serve also subject like world orientation, citizenship, uh, language or uh, teaching, artistic orientation. So it wants to be cross-curricular. And the third element, and that I think is really good to realize, that it's, it's seen as a tool to build the collective memory of the Netherlands through the engine of history education. So that's a very important component if you think so. Now, one of the things that happened in this country was that for long, we didn't have any set curriculum due to what we call the freedom of education, where it is not allowed uh, for authorities to, in fact, interfere in what's happening in schools. And especially for history education in a very mixed country, that, that was an issue. But in the last 20 years, that totally changed. And we got a lot of different um, yeah, requirements on history education. We got 10 uh, periodization of 10 periods. And we got something that was called the um, distinct aspects, 49, which all together would create a sort of basic for history education. And then on top of that, the canon is uh, designed. So you get uh, three levels of input what history should be uh, about. And that should then create, they are working on it now, it's not ready, an historical frame of reference. And that historical frame of reference should then be used for a new topic they are developing, which is called people and society. So what you see in the Netherlands is a very complex system of thinking how history uh, should be taught. Uh, if you think about these very special 10 periods, you have to think about uh, uh, the, the period of the monks and the knights of the period of the world wars. And if you think about these distinguished aspects, uh, you think about world capitalism or opposition against Western European imperialism or whatever. And if you then have those 50 canon windows in which it's built, then that would be then a starting point to illustrate uh, the time period. So it's, 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 it's complicated. And in fact, a lot of people, especially also specialists in history education, are worried because they don't fit in each other like a jigsaw puzzle. It's more like different levels which have to come together somewhere. Now, the, the last question, because what it really means is that um, yeah, for primary teachers who are no specialist teachers, they are not trained and they feel quite comfortable with the whole system. It's there since 2006. And about 70% of the primary teachers are happy to use it. Uh, it's very enthusiastically used in um, the primary teaching training colleges. For secondary education, it's a bit less in the first place, it's the first circle, although it worked through up till the last years. And you can see that about 60% is uh, satisfied uh, with the canon. But at the same time, when there was, uh, after 10 years, 
a discussion if it should be revised, then you see a very clear difference because uh, among the primary teachers, there is a very small group, 15%, who says, yes, it has to be revised. But if you look at secondary teachers, then it's 50% saying we want uh, to have it revised. So you see that yeah, people are reasonable okay with it, but um, there was certainly after the first canon a big uh, desire for secondary education to have a revision. Anja, and you mentioned that you, you have, in fact, a, a second canon, and that's something we'll come back to later, the fact that uh, the first canon in the Netherlands, or it's it's one canon, but the first version of it was created quite some years ago, and there has since been a revision. Yeah. Uh, we'll we'll come back to that later, but I'll, I'll let um, Karel also react to what you, you just explained of the situation in the Netherlands, and, and let us also explain a bit how things work in, in Belgium and in Flanders. Yeah. Okay, well, contrary to the situation in the Netherlands, in Flanders, there was no need that had to be met. There is no reason that I can think of uh, for which all of the sudden uh, historical canon should be some kind of answer to a request or to a need uh, to make it concrete. There were no specific com complaints about decreasing historical knowledge among young people in education. There was no big debate in society at large about uh, people's historical consciousness or whatsoever. So in, in education, nor in society at large, this was an issue. And all of a sudden, in the summer of 2019, Flemish nationalist politicians started to raise the issue, we need a historical canon for Flanders, we need young people to be proud again of our uh, history, we need good examples uh, to follow, and so on and so on. So, let me be very clear on that. The, the idea of a historical canon for Flanders is purely a political identitarian inspired issue nothing more nothing less and we should see this in in perhaps in a bit of a longer term uh, because this this really constitutes an enormous rupture in the kind of identity politics that are uh, have been um, well that are, have been followed in in belgium slash flanders since the end of the second world war so very briefly, in the 19th century, uh, Belgium is a rather young nation state, uh, uh, established in 1830. And well, the, the 19th century uh, subsequent Belgian governments felt the need to install some kind of uh, idea of, of being a Belgian citizen and uh, some feeling of Belgianness. And so what they did, they, they really um, had an active identity politics eh, via statues, museums, uh, education, and so on, although not that much compared to France, for instance, or England. But what they did, and this shows the, the, already the danger of a historical canon, um, well, the, the canon focused on, 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 on Belgian figures, um, but that 19th century Belgian history um, it never fully acknowledged the presence of a Dutch-speaking Flemish people as well. So throughout 
the the rule of Belgian governments, this really was, a, a you could say, a Francophone rule. And so in certain circles in Flanders, opposition started to raise, uh, saying, why do you not acknowledge also uh, Flemish or Dutch uh, as an official language? It, it, it took, for instance, uh, a lot of time before the constitution of Belgium had an official translation into Dutch. Uh, so you see a certain community a Flemish community that is not acknowledged as being truly part of Belgium, so to speak. Uh, and this raises uh, opposition with, with, with all the consequences that come with that. Uh, for instance, uh, a substantial collaboration with a Nazi occupier in two uh, subsequent world wars. So after the Second World War, given the big uh, collaboration in Flemish and in Catholic circles with the Nazi occupier, the question is, how can we give this memory of the Second World War, how can we give this a place in, in, in the memory here in Belgium? Well, and the answer turned out that, it, that this was not really possible. And this, this was so much of, a, of, a, of an explosive thing that the government backed out a little bit of identity politics. So since the end of the Second World War, national governments in Belgium do not interfere that much with identity politics anymore. Due to the federalization process of Belgium, the Flemish government uh, started to do so from the 1970s, 80s and 1990s, but always in a moderate way. And there was the Flemish National Feast uh, Festivity Day, uh, the 11th of July, uh, referring to the Battle of the Golden Spurs and so on. But in education, for instance, there was never this need to interfere with the content of history education. So for more than uh, 70 years, we are not used to a government mingling in detail with identity politics. And all of a sudden, this idea of a canon for Flanders drops out of the air and it comes from nowhere, except from the heads of some Flemish nationalist po uh, politicians. To be clear on that, I am against this historical canon for Flanders, but if it would have come out of the head of, of a politician who is really a, a Belgicist one uh, or whatsoever, I would also be against it. So this is really a principle statement. I do not think that in liberal democracies, governments have to interfere with the very detailed content of history education whatsoever. The leader of the Flemish Nationalist Party said that himself in an interview in 2002. He really said then, eh, history does not let itself canonizing to absolute and eternal truths. An official version uh, of or, or implying an official version of the past in terms of the political present is typical for totalitarian regimes. So the man who is fan of the canon in 2002 said this literally. And I think that his point is correct. And this is why I oppose. So this is really a purely political strategy an identitarian strategy. Um, how does that relate to the national curriculum? Well, this is very strange. It doesn't relate at all. We are in the middle of an educational reform in Flanders uh, because uh, education has been regionalized. In Flanders, we are in the middle of an educational reform and the, sta the new standards for history education for the seventh and eighth grades have been approved by the parliament. Uh, those for the ninth till the 12th grade have already been approved by the Flemish government. And what we do there is we put historical thinking to the fore. 
And so historical thinking is exactly the opposite of a canon. It's, it's critically deconstructing uses and misuses of the past and is not imposing one version of the past on young people. What we do in those new standards, we put forward a historical frame of reference uh, with, with, with a, a typical Western periodization. And what we do, what we say there is, listen, you are free to choose Western and non-Western societies you want to address in history education. But what we will do is we will give you some historical key concepts you should address in the classroom in order for your students to understand the past. I like, for instance, uh, democracy, dictatorship, modern imperialism, inequality, slavery, uh, but also religion uh, and so on. So we give these uh, building blocks, so to speak, to history teachers as, well, as a very large framework in which they can subsequently choose the, the own topics they want to address. Because that way we meet the professionality of the teacher. I mean, we all feel that the profession of the teachers should be upgraded. Uh, should should get new status like it used to be. But if we install a historical canon and we say to teachers, here, this is what you have to teach, well, then we make some kind of parrots of them. And this is not what we want. So there is no need. And I also think that um, history teachers don't feel the need for a canon. They are trained historians, at least in, in upper secondary education. Why would they need additional building blocks to, to well, to give substantiation to, 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 their, to their practice? I mean, they studied four years of history at university. Huh? We don't need a government saying what we need to do. Teachers are, are professionals. They can do that for themselves. And okay, in, 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 in primary education, that's another case, but here, I always raise the question, listen, if there is a problem with history education and with the quality, there are two things you can do. Either you say you impose what people have to say and teach during their classes, either you look at is history education being attributed a sufficient number of hours a week to teach? Is the teacher training okay? And perhaps this is the way forward, but not saying here's a canon and you guys are parrots and now repeat it over and over again. That can never, never, ever be the idea. And here immediately you see the big problem with the historical canon in Flanders. Eh? The, 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 the government now says, well, at first eh, in, in the... Um, in the agreement of the new government, uh, it is referred to the, to the national canon, to the Flemish national canon, and they say, oh, we, we need examples. They only list um, white males, uh, the, the big man, uh, so really 19th century history, as, as examples to follow. Meanwhile, they have said, oh, yeah, but no, we do not want to uh, emphasize a certain identity. Uh, so so they, they come back from that. They say, yeah, what we, what we actually want to do, we want to raise uh, interest for the history, the culture, the literature of Flanders. Well, that's a noble initiative, but at the same time, throughout the current reform, being installed, what they do is they downsize all the standards for the competence of historical consciousness and, his, and uh, for cultural consciousness and cultural expression. 
So they downsize the amount of attention being paid to culture, literature, and so on. But on the other hand, they say, oh, but we need a canon in order to, to steer more interest. This is hypocrite in some way. And it clearly shows that in the end, the only thing they want is an identitarian instrument. And I oppose against that. Thank you very much. Uh, we've, we've gotten a good in, uh, indication of where this is coming from in both countries, I think now, and, and indeed quite different in many ways. And, and in, in Flanders, you do have the very particular situation where there is a strong nationalist current, of course, arguing for But to be honest, to be honest, that was the case in the Netherlands as well, only that, of course, there was not this, this particular Flemish story, but there was the story that people didn't know enough. We had very strong right-wing uh, influence saying that yes they have to know their history because one of the things what you saw in the Netherlands was that in the time I was teaching in, in, the, in the, the 70s and the 80s we had a very interesting curriculum in the basic for the first circle for primary education it was the whole history and in the second circle it was the history after uh, 1917 but it was totally international Hmm. And we zoomed in only the particular topics in the Dutch history. And that is totally turned around. Now, all of a sudden, the basic interest was for the Dutch history. And of course, exactly with the same sort of story uh, that they have to know. And therefore, I stress so very much this collective memories uh, issue, which comes as a bit of a, a surprise somewhere in, in their goals. But basically, that was what they wanted to reach. And I totally... Uh, agree with with Carol here that you I also made exactly the same observations that you have a, in a canon in a very close co uh, connection and a focus on content and you don't look into the historical thinking and, and, and re uh, reasoning you don't look very much in the skills and the values and the attitude so it's a very uh, sort of very traditional way uh, to, to, to look at what you do in the school history. And then, and I totally agree, and I also noted that down, it takes away the teacher's autonomy. And it makes people, in a sense, also lazy, and it is an easy way out. People have enormous amount of work to do in education, so I don't blame the teachers whatsoever. But what it is, is yes, here you have it in your hands, this is what you do. And one of the nice things being a, a teacher is to sit and to think, what am I going to teach? And what is the purpose of what I'm doing? And what sort of students do I have in front of me? And that is a, a, a common thinking, how we deal with these sort of things and not just plunging a story which then is seen as, as the story. And I also agree that what we saw here was that in, in the old times, uh, teachers in secondary education were educated in universities. Now, then already when I was studying, they started to build a teacher uh, education colleges. And the main reason was indeed cheaper people and not to have to pay so much. So salaries decreased, you know, and then, of course, no attention to in-service in professional development was given at all in the Netherlands. So, okay, that was fine. You have it set. And so I totally agree. Yes, you have to invest in that sort of things instead of giving people a right set and denying them their professionalism to think. So I totally agree there that there isn't that much difference. I, I really see how this, this, this dynamics have been working in both countries. And the only thing is, yes, you have that particular Flanders nationalism, where in our case it was more the right-wing nationalism, which wanted to, to create this 
common story of the people living in the country and really trying to to ignore that we were a very diversified country, but that we had that common story, etc., behind us. Mm-hmm. I find it interesting how you say that there there is this commonality of yeah the, shaping this collective memory and and uh, yeah, a certain nationalist tendency, if you want. And I'm wondering, I mean, now we've seen this in the Netherlands; it's in the works still in Belgium. That's perhaps something we should stress that it's not it's not quite there yet no. in in Flanders. I. I'm wondering to to which extent other countries will follow suit and and sort of pick and choose their own model for this in a sense and and uh, yes if there is a I know that there has also been in fact um, uh, I, I myself I come from Norway and about 10 15 years ago uh, there was also a debate in Scandinavia around canons because mm-hmm. in Denmark they actually also introduced the canon yeah. though I think that one, in in many ways, is a bit broader. It's more of a cultural yeah. canon and not specifically on history. I think the momentum is a bit gone by now. Uh, there was a lot of debate about it, but I have the feeling that now, when I read about other countries and whatever, this is a bit uh, to the background. And of course, the British had uh, somewhere a big debate, and first it was about Britishness, and then the conservatives came, and it became much narrower, and they asked all sort of academics to help them, but they... Uh, were not willing to do so because they felt that they were really violating what they were standing for. So it disappeared. And the French approach is already very sort of one story, uh, what everybody has to learn. So I think for them, it's not a b- real debate. But interesting enough, Carol said, and that, that is, was also an interesting element, because what you saw in also my work in the 90s, these ideas of a very strict curriculum really belong to the the old communist culture you know and then the 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 new states who all wanted their national stories and whatever it was very strong but then of course western from western europe they looked at it and they thought no way but then 10 years later all of a sudden they started to 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 bring it in and i'm not so sure how many at the moment of the western european countries are still reflecting on it And and if you see the change between our first canon and the second it immediately showed all the problems which people encountered introducing the whole story we will come back to the to the second canon as you refer to to soon but um, so i i just want to move uh, move on a bit you because well you're both clearly very critical of your respective canons or indeed of the concept the very concept of the canon in itself um but i am wondering i mean do you not think that the canon can assist teachers in teaching history at all? Um, could you not see it being a useful tool, at least to some teachers? Uh, you mentioned how teachers have lost the best of their standing, perhaps. And uh, I mean, we also have to deal with that reality now then. It, can it not be useful to at least, yeah, some teachers? And if not, where is, where in, wh- what's the real danger here with, with the canon? I mean, Carl, you've hinted at it already a bit, but, but I'd, I'd like to, to press you a bit more on, on those things. So uh, perhaps, Carl, you first, and then I'll, I'll leave uh, Joko also some time to, to reflect on this. Yeah, okay. Well, can a, can a canon be useful for history teachers? In a certain way, yes at least in 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 uh, in primary education because there history teacher uh, sorry teachers are being formed in 3 years 
but they are being prepared to teach from the first grade till the sixth grade in mathematics, in language, in, in, in history, in geography, and so on. So the question really is there, how realistic is that? Can you actually prepare young people during three years to teach primary school children in all those topics, in all those issues? The, ans the answer is, of course, no. Particularly as society becomes more and more complex, becomes more and more demanding towards education, that simply is not possible. But that's a structural thing to change, and we know that structures are not easy to change. So, in a sense, a historical canon is very easy and is a solution there. Huh? Because it, it, it really gives uh, uh, very concrete things that teachers can do. But the question is, is it, it is a solution, but the question is, is, is it a good solution? Well, and there the answer clearly is, no, this is not a good solution. Huh? Because what are the, the, the problems with the historical canon? Well, first of all, a canon is in itself something ahistorical, so to speak. Because if we talk about the history of Flanders, Flanders as an official part of Belgium uh, is only there since, well, or Flanders as the idea of a nation is only there since the 19th century. And if we are going to back project this to, the, to, to prehistoric times, that is really anachronistic, ahistorical. Also, what you what is a, a very real danger is that, that we are going to approach the past in a very teleological way. Eh? Flanders as the inevitable outcome of the past, which is not. Eh? Burgundy, for instance, clearly shows that. Eh? This also could have been an outcome of certain processes, but it hasn't happened. Eh? So we, we install the wrong ideas of historical processes in young people's, well, in, in, in primary school children's minds, also in the first years of secondary education. And once they have been installed there, it's very difficult to get rid of them. So there are a lot of um, scientific arguments against the use of a historical canon. Also, a historical canon always starts from the glasses of the nation state to look at the past. And to be clear on that, because that's really a misconception, I have nothing against Flemish history or, or Dutch history or whatsoever. I mean, this can be very useful. And I, of course, I, I agree, I completely agree to the fact that we should address the history of Flanders as being part of Belgium throughout history education here in Flanders. But the question is, do we always have to put up those glasses to look at the past? For instance, if you look at migration in Western Europe uh, during the Middle Ages, what is the, the, what is the right glasses there to put on? Well, how did migration flows go, particularly from um, rural areas to cities? And so there, this has nothing to do with from Flanders to Brabant or vice versa or whatsoever. There, the meaningful glasses to put on are these differences between rural areas and, and, and cities. And this has nothing to do with Flanders. Also, another issue is you could look at the past via gender glasses. 
had to look at, at man-wife um, uh, differences and balances and so on. Why do we always need the nation state to start from? So I have nothing against that perspective as such, but if it's if it is the one and only perspective, or if it is always the starting point, then I really have a problem with that. And we will see that when we discuss um, the revision of, of, the, of the Dutch canon, uh, Maria of Burgundy. Uh, there's a lot of debate in the Netherlands uh, about what is her place in that new canon. Could we not find another woman? And this shows it. You are going to integrate all those glasses, meaningful or especially not meaningful, because you always start in the beginning with that nation state glasses, which is not okay in my opinion. Yoke, I think you have some comments here as well. For me, there is no um, issue about uh, curriculum choice. That there is uh, thought in society, what you think is useful to understand for young people to live in the current period and also to have an orientation for the future, something what the, the commission never mentioned. Uh, I think that's, that's fine. I have no problem with that. But mention, calling it a canon, then all of a sudden you, you give it a weight, a status where I cannot live this. And again, if I see how things changed over time already, sorry to mention it again and again, in these two canons, you can see how it in fact is not the right idea. Yes, we all you see in many countries that there is a serious thinking about, okay, what should students learn? And in a way, uh, if you look also in the, the new canon, there are seven lines indicating them thematic interrelations. And basically, that's, that's a nice idea to deal with. And then you can see, okay, that has to do with, uh, with the Netherlands, but it also has to do with the rest of the world. And you can make some uh, good ideas about that. And then you have your concepts, as Carol also was mentioning, if you talk about democratization, or you talk about human rights or whatever. And yes, you can make a system for that, a reference system, as Carl was also talking about, where you can say, okay, that's, that's fine. There is nothing wrong with it. But at the moment, you design a canon. And another problem, what I see, is that all of a sudden, these sort of movements or issues like gender or emancipation or whatever, they become very clear ideas in persons or in certain icons. And that sort of takes away the whole breadth of what you're talking about. And all of a sudden you talk about slavery, but if you look deeper, in fact, you talk about colonialism. So why do we then have slavery and an icon on slavery instead of that we say, yes, in that and that form, it is important to pay attention to colonialism and decolonization and whatever. So it's not that I'm against any uh, regulation for what, we as a, as a society think what you learn about history, but I totally agree that the nation state is for me certainly not the basis. We we be living in a much wider surrounding. And if we think about the orientation for the future for our students, then the nation state is probably not any longer the icon we, we have to serve. And yes, we have to see how we can, can, can bring together living in smaller surroundings and uh, living in a Europe, which is uh, with all its problems, still together and probably 
even getting some stronger together. So why shouldn't we then not make a canon about uh, European history? And then if if I may may add on that, um, because it, it it's very interesting uh, what you just mentioned, Joke. You oppose it to 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 a historical scientific view of the past, huh? which is fluid and which is always provisional, while a canon is sacred and is fixed. Yeah. But installing a historical canon also uh, does some kind of uh, does some kind of uh, injustice to other scientific insights, and and this is also a point I always raise. We are really, uh, as we say in Flanders, playing with fire if we want to install a canon, because what we do not take into account here are, are, um, are, uh, are developmental psychology yeah. perspectives, for instance. Uh, uh, the theory of, of Kieran Egan, uh, a Canadian uh, psychologist uh, being used in, in, in uh, history didactics textbooks in, in the Netherlands and also in Flanders, Kieran Egan, uh, he talks about young people as being romantic romantic thinkers, uh, interested in, in the exotic, faraway mm. history and so on. So, well, this is quite uh, opposed to always only local history, of course. And so you take away the exotic, the surprising history and so on. And this is something not taken into account in installing a canon. Second of all, the Netherlands, and the same applies to Flanders to Belgium, is that we uh, testify to an increasingly multicultural society. And the idea is okay, but we need some common ground. We need to, uh, to 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 form one community and so on. But the question there is, how do you do that? And it's really a naive 19th century idea to do that via a canon and to impose certain historical knowledge. The 19th century has proven that this does not work, at least in Belgium, because by doing so and by ignoring the Flemish community, uh, they created this whole uh, debate that is going on for more than a century in Belgium now, uh, almost a century and a half. So what I see from my own research, that is that at least some young people, they say, we do not like history education at all. It doesn't interest us. And why not? Because they feel no sense of belonging whatsoever because they say these history classes, this has nothing to do with us. This has nothing to do with the stories that I share within my family, within my community and so on. And so I certainly do not want to make a plea here for uh, a separate history educations per community or per family. No, but what I think, uh, what I think that is needed for history education is that history education is inclusive. And this is why in the new history standards in Flanders, we have said, well, Teachers do not solely have to address Western societies, but also do they have to address non-Western societies? And what they have to do is look at the intercultural, the intercultural context between both and the dynamics that play there and the, the well, the mutual change that, that, that happens there and the mutual representations from one another and so on. I think that this is much more inclusive history than installing a Flemish historical canon. Well, I no, and I think also if you think about uh, creating this common narrative as, as helping you to have a common destiny, 
then I think, yeah, you know, you can better do something about human rights and, and, and so on. I think that's more helpful uh, to, 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 to deal with the, the, the future than, uh, than, than a common narrative. And, and yes, here again, uh, I mean, I worked, of course, a lot also in all these countries and we discussed endlessly how to build this new national uh, narratives because for many of the uh, post-communist countries, they really were rebuilding their, their national stories, of course. And one of the issues we already discussed in, in mid-90s uh, that, okay, you cannot include all the stories, that's obvious, and you can also not tell all the stories, but you can always ask the question, what did it mean for the other? And how did it work in, in, uh, through in the events and in, in, in the experience of what, what people were having? And I think there, again, I still, I. I feel okay. You are allowed to tell a story, but then it has to be a story where we we totally agree that it's much more complex than the story, which at least from the windows from the Kano comes out. If you go a bit deeper, then yes, that complexity is there. But then, to be honest, uh, I wonder how many people go beyond the the sort of seeing the windows and applying this a bit in the school text history book and not reading all the stuff behind it where there is far more um, multi-perspectivity and whatever. But then really people have to have time and they have to be trained on that. And I haven't seen much of that happening either. So even if they do their best to make a bit more from the story than what you see, if you look at the, the, the icons of the windows, then I feel already that that is not enough implemented to make it really something where an academic set, yes, but we want to offer a multi-perspective, a, a multi-faceted uh, uh, sort of approach to the past. And I'm not sure that, that people buy that or really understand that that's the idea. So I, I, I think we've, we've covered a lot about how it re interacts sort of with the idea of the nation state and all that and, and shaping a national identity. And I've, I've, I've heard your concerns about it. Uh, I think I, I want to move on a bit because I, one thing that you both mentioned was how the, the canon is sort of a fixed thing that we've, you know, we've decided what is, what is the important highlights of the history of the Netherlands or the history of Flanders. But is that really, really the case? Because we've now seen in the Netherlands that they did make a canon, then 10, 15, no, 15 years later or so, they made a revision. Yeah. So is that not, could that not be a solution that you simply agree, well, you know, we, we'll have this canon for the next 10 years and then we'll do a revision, we'll, we'll update it as we go. As our concept of what is important in our national history changes, we might update it. So Concretely in the Netherlands, I think what happened was that they included a bit more women's history, they included a bit of Dutch Caribbean history, they had some slavery or colonialism or, or, or something of that sort, right? So, Jorke, this question goes mostly to you, I think, but uh, Karel, you, you feel free to chip in. Um, but but basically, how do you view the, the new revision of the canon? Is, is the problem solved? I, I think the answer to is going to no, be no, I... but, but I, I'm also curious about the, the concept of updating it. Is that not... Could that not work? No, I, I think that um, exactly if you look at how it has been revised, it's really a very serious revision. So it shows already that this idea that it's canon is, is not true because yes, we recognize that 
we make a choice for a curriculum, that's again, I'm not against the choice for a curriculum. And after 10 years or whatever, we look, society has changed, lots of academic new research, uh, and we, we see if it's still a valid uh, road. And now, of course, if you do that for 10 years, I think they argue that if you do it shorter, then teachers become very uh, annoyed. Now, I think certainly for primary education, that is the case. I'm not sure for secondary education. So. No, I, I agree that uh, the idea to, to have a, a sort of choice for, okay, this is what we consider very important, that is. But now I, I want to give you two examples why, again, I think a canon with icons and names doesn't work very well. So one of the, 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 the windows is now changed from the iconoclastic movement from 1566 to what is called the Dutch Revolt. If you look under it, okay, it's not that much changed. But the important thing to realize was that this iconoclastic movement was always very unhappy received by the very strict Protestants in the Netherlands because they didn't want to be related to a movement where they destroyed most of our beautiful Roman Catholic churches, at least at the inside of it. So it's really a almost political issue to change that. The interesting thing is the icon has not changed, but the name of the window has changed. And the second thing, and I think that's even more funny to realize, that in the, we had uh, the first canon had uh, our Wilhelm Drees. He was a very iconic, I would say, almost prime minister. And he was at the basic of the Dutch welfare state. And he was a social democrat. Now in the new, Canon, his name is disappeared and is for a woman, Marga Compe, uh, the first female minister in the Netherlands. I can totally live with that. But if you see, she stands for exactly the same, building our welfare state. And so again, oh yes, if we had chosen for the topic of the revolt, the Dutch revolt, yes, that was a big story, together also with Plander. If we had chosen for the development of the welfare state, yes. But to change one person or one concept for the other for purely political reasons, what the interesting thing was, as I said, Willem de Rees was a social democrat and Marga Complet is a Christian democrat. So also there you would say, oh, was the commission a bit against having a socialist so much in the, in the plot? So we take now a Christian democrat, you know, these sort of things that, that raise a lot of debate. And for that reason, again, I say, yes, it's much better. If I read beyond it, it's really looking into a multicultural society, etc. But still the idea to have it all in the 50 windows, which they didn't want to change the number, but they took out 10, what is it, 20% of them. And uh, to say then those particular icons, I find that's far too closing. And indeed, what Carol already has said is far too little interest for the other didactic aspects of historical thinking, etc. They are not there. It's a very content-based curriculum. Uh, Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and adding to that, uh, you are right. Huh? The minute you start to revise a canon, well, perhaps you cannot call it a canon anymore <laughs> huh? because you really change the meaning of the word itself. But nevertheless, I think that the main objections against canonizing, canonizing the past remain. 
The first thing is you can change it as much as you want and all the frames and all the windows you want, but the objection remains the, the first and overall and overarching and main perspective is that of the nation state that you project on the past. And okay, since the 19th century is the nation state, the nation state has become very strong, uh, has, has been mixing itself in, in every aspect of public life. But I mean, why on earth would you back project the nation state to prehistoric times and so on. So this objection really remains that you only start from one perspective to look at the past. And this is really simplifying, narrowing our views of the past, which is not okay. And the second thing is, this really leads to presentism. What we do with this revision of the canon, that is that we apply a present day logic onto the past. Huh? It, it is current sensitivities that guide our look onto the past. And this is why I oppose, again, against the canon, also if it's revised. And I think it's good that there have been some revisions, but the, the main objections remain, for me at least. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree yeah. with I agree with uh, with Kyle that that is really uh, a, a big issue and. Uh, I also know that, yes, if we write the curriculum, we also have to think about what is present in society now, etc. But also here, the danger, what you get is that, yes, if we start being more interested in migration or we start interested in more in women, then all of a sudden, because we need these icons and we need, we, we are going to look for strong, important women. But perhaps it's far more interesting to discuss a much more wider problem about the position of women, how that changed and whatever. And it's not about important migrants or important uh, women. So you get again by making these icons, making these persons all of a sudden the, the sort of leading for the story that's not what we want. All right, very good. I think with that, um, I, I think I'll ask one last question. We're we're nearing the end of, of our time here today. And uh, I, I'm really happy we've had a good discussion about the whole concept. And that's a bit where I will, would like to end as well. And, and also bringing it a bit back to, to history education. And again, it's about the Dutch revision and, and the latest version of the Dutch canon. Because on the website, on the canon, I, I found this very interesting. Um, they actually discuss this very... I mean, we've we talked about how it is defined as something sacred. It's both in Dutch and in English, something almost untouchable. And they they recognize this on themselves. And uh, but they say that you know what they do not want is um, they don't really want to portray this this idea of it being untouchable and and unchangeable and sacred and so on. They say that they do welcome criticism and that the canon should be seen as a starting point, not as the end goal also in the classroom. And I just want your reaction to, to that disclaimer that they put themselves on the website. Yeah, I think they, they had to do that as academics. They did that also in the first canon. I mean, they, they were very much aware that what they were producing, that it had nothing to do with, with their own academic approach, that knowledge and interpretations are to a certain extent provisional and that you cannot claim that you now write this line. But another thing, and that is a bit more hidden in the story, is that they had to deal with the freedom of education in the Netherlands. That's a very 
difficult concept we have here that uh, from the 19th century, uh, the, the, there was a big debate between the Roman Catholics and the Protestants and the non-religious about what to do with education. Now, in 1917, they decided they are all equal and they're all free to do what they want. Now, eventually that changed because we got a written, written examination, even for history. So then you cannot say to everybody, just do and then be poor children have to do a written exam and they just have to wait what is coming. So basically that basic idea of freedom education is, is, is not any longer there. But as there is a debate in the Netherlands, you immediately see that concept coming. So they also had to be clear to say, okay, yes, it is an inspiration, but schools have a, ch a choice to use it also because they have to be very careful that they don't say this is com really compulsory because then they go really to the basic uh, they, they, they are against the basic of the system. So that was there, there too. Um, but yeah, on the other hand, I think for me, and the most important and intriguing line is, yes, they say it, it's free and it's an inspiration and whatever, but then they end with this line that they really hope that through this canon, the collective memory of the Netherlands is going to be strengthened. And there, I think they totally go against what they have said before. Because if that is the case, then they want it to be compulsory, and then they believe that their story is necessary to develop that collective memory. Mm -hmm. In my opinion, this this disclaimer summarizes very well the the immense contradiction of the canon of the Netherlands. Because what they do is they problematize the word canon. But what they do not problematize is what follows canon of the Netherlands. And as I said, it is anachronistic to back project this to ancient times where the Netherlands did not exist. So they really should problematize both. The fact that they don't do that is that they do not even think about discussing or reflecting on the starting point being the nation state uh, perspective. So, so this really shows in my opinion, what the problem is, and this really shows the fact that many people just don't seem to realize that problem. And what I would say is, and this is a bit of the, the, the conceptual confusion in Flanders. A lot of people say, well, we are not necessarily opposed against the canon. And then I, then I start to ask questions and why not? And what do you like about it? And so on and so on. And in the end, what they want, and I'm, 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 I'm also pro that. What they want is some kind of historical frame of reference eh? to install some main lines about the human past in young people's minds and ideas and so on. But this historical frame of reference should not be limited at all to the nation state. Thank you very much, Karel. Uh, Thank you very much, Jorke. I, I think I just wanted to have give Jorke a final chance to, to comment on this, this idea of based on your immense experience in, in, in working on, on history education and thinking about it, Karel talks about the frame of reference. And I, I'm just yeah. wondering, like, so so if it's not the canon, then what should it be? Uh, but, but we discussed it already during our talk. I think a frame of reference is indeed looking into what we would, would understand as, 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 as what history is about and what is history about for young people at this moment and what they help them to think also in the future because they have to understand what 
where they are living, but that is changing enormously. If you look at uh, historical narratives uh, in the last 150 years, because before that history education didn't really play a role, it's over the last 150 years. If you see how that has been evolving, then it shows already that also without all this debate, always people have been thinking what is meaningful for young people to, to understand in the world they live in. And there, I totally agree, that is an orientation in the world at this moment, really a global uh, orientation. And again, this is an interesting, if you said this experience, what I noticed was that up till 2000, there was a, a genuine uh, attitude. Also in a lot of the countries I was working with that yes, we were dealing with history. And many of them came from a tradition that you were dealing with national history and you were dealing with them non-history, uh, national history. And for many of the people I was then working with, of course, national history was Soviet history. And then you had the rest of the world. And now uh, they tried and there was quite a, 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 a sort of movement to it. Then you say, okay, my national history is now Estonian history. And then uh, the, the other history is the world. But quite soon, in fact, in that time, people realized that that would really be a dick to me you didn't want. You wanted really to look history and then you would say, okay, in what way uh, Estonia played a role or how it, it, it answered to the situation in Estonia or whatever. So it basically, we all discussed history and also under the, the lead of the Council of Europe where we did a lot of work on history. This was Honestly. the idea. It depends very much on the political leadership in countries where you see this movement still being very strong or that people start to discuss is this the way forward but um, as uh, we still see a strong uh, majority of, of countries with a rather conservative political uh, stand at the moment i think still this idea of national history uh, is is a very strong uh, promoted by by them and yeah perhaps uh, there will be another movement but i saw it really happening for instance in in, in in Latvia they had very interesting textbooks in the beginning in, but then there was a political overhaul and all of a sudden they had to design a Latvian history uh, from the beginning and then they said it doesn't match with European or world history because before 900 there wasn't anything to tell so how can we bring that together so you see exactly as Carol was saying you get this extremely artificial building of the nation state Looking back in, in the case of Estonia and Latvia, they were 100 years more or less had this, this idea of nation state and before that it didn't even exist and then you are inventing a story. I mean, in the case of Flanders and the Netherlands, you can go a bit mm -hmm. further, but then even before 1500, 1400, it's, it's all ridiculous and, and yeah, artificial. So I totally agree <laughs> with, with what Carol was saying here. All right, thank you so much. And I think with that, we will we will finish off now. And uh, what we will then do is to follow closely what's happening. Uh, we'll also follow the debates in, in Belgium because it's not a given. It's not there yet. No. Still work in progress. I, I or well, we'll we'll see what happens. Um, so I thank you again very, very much for, for joining us for this very interesting conversation about the canon. And thank you for listening. And I hope we see you again for the next episode.